0: Passage this morning is found in Philemon. We'll be looking at verses four through seven. Paul's prayer for this brother and the church that met in his house. It can be found in your bulletin if you do not have a Bible or for those who are watching at home. Philemon verses four through seven. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. to understand his word. Father God, we thank you for this prayer from the Apostle Paul. It's, it's short, it's sweet, but God, it is profound. Pray that it would encourage us this morning, that it would lift our gaze up towards heaven where you are seated and where uh, you are ruling and reigning over all things. And may it lead us to gratitude for your continued work in and through us, your church. May my words be faithful, may they be true, may they be glorifying to you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, you may, have mentioned, you may have remembered that I mentioned how I've been working my way through this World War II documentary. I've been enjoying the in-depth look at different aspects of the war, whether they be specific battles, events, or even sh- military strategies. Some of the details are new to me, while others simply refresh uh, previous knowledge that I may have had. Uh, just as a disclaimer, I was a history uh, minor in college, so I have a, an interest in there. So sorry for those of you who can't stand history. Uh, but one particular event was known as the Blitz. And for those unfamiliar, the Blitz was the Nazi nighttime bombing campaign and raids against London and the surrounding British cities. It was an attempt to neutralize both British, the British ma- uh, military and economy, and to also break the British spirit. And it lasted from September of 1940 through May of 1941. And there was one particular streak of 57 consecutive nights of bombing raids. It was truly a difficult and horrific time for all in Great Britain. And roughly five months after the last campaign in in May of 41, English Prime Minister Winston Churchill visited this school, the Harrow School, where he once attended as a young boy. And he was there to kind of motivate to give a speech And in one of the songs that the boys at the school sang, they mentioned this this phrase, darker days. And it is in light of those that, that Churchill delivered one of his more famous speeches, where he ended it like this. Do not let us speak of darker days. Let us speak, rather, of sterner days. These are not dark days. These are great days. The greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must thank God that we have been allowed, each of us, according to our stations, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. In the midst of this devastating war, Churchill found reason to give thanks. He rejoiced even at that time when Britain was standing alone in the fight against the Axis powers. And he did so because there had been a great work accomplished simply in Britain's survival of the Blitz. And this great work gave Churchill confidence that such a work would continue in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. Our passage this morning, in a way, has a similar function to Churchill's speech. It is Paul's declaration of thanks and confidence in the work of God that he was doing in his dear brother Philemon. No, Philemon was not facing nightly bombings. No, he was not in the middle of a massive war stretching multiple continents. But as we saw last week, Philemon was laboring faithfully for the gospel. He likely endured and witnessed persecution and suffering. He had some role in the church which would have brought additional hardships and sorrow. And specific to this letter, Philemon was dealing with the effects of Onesimus, a former slave, running away and likely stealing from Philemon in the process, as verse 18 might suggest. And to complicate the matter, Philemon is about to find out that this slave is willingly returning to him, not simply as a slave, but as a fellow brother in Christ. And before our modern sensibilities seek to take over, we must understand the immense difficulty of this entire situation. Government laws informed Philemon how he could rightly respond to the return of Onesimus. Biblical laws informed Philemon of how he could rightly respond to the return of his brother Onesimus. And whatever his response would be, it would have bearings on the entire church. And so into this struggle then comes Paul's prayer of confident thanksgiving. It is short, but it is packed with exactly what Philemon needs to hear. It would be an encouragement to him, helping to equip him for the task that lied ahead of him. And my hope and prayer is that it would encourage and equip us together this morning as we continue to pursue genuine gospel fellowship as the body of Christ. And so in this prayer, I pray that we would, with Paul, praise God for his ongoing work in and through his people. Now, notes of personal thankfulness were common to letters in that day. Paul, in his letters, often tweaked them, so they weren't simply notes, but they were actually formal prayers. And almost every one of Paul's letters starts with a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And while certainly customary, these prayers were not simply a copy and paste from one letter to the next. Each had its own unique tone, each had its own unique emphasis, its content, and each served a specific purpose, usually related to what was going to follow in the letter. From this prayer in these three verses, we will see that Paul's formal appeal is going to come in verses 8-22. through 22. As one commentator says, this whole passage, verses 4-7, through 7, Prepares the ground for the request that is to follow. Paul's prayer is genuine. These are not flowery words seeking to impress or to guilt Philemon into doing something. He truly loves this dear brother. And he thanks God for his faith and his service. And he wants, genuinely wants, what is best for Philemon. But this prayer is also very strategic. The words that Paul chooses in these verses are intentional. Many of them were go- are going to be picked up again in verses 8 through 25. We will see love, fellowship, good, heart, refresh, and brother all introduced in this prayer and then come back again in the body of the letter. You can almost picture Paul kind of sowing these seeds as he's extending this prayer to God above. And in praising God for what he has done in and through Philemon, Paul will also reveal what he hopes and is confident that God will continue to do. So three points this morning are going to help us break down this heartfelt and pointed prayer of Paul. They're a little bit different than what's in the bulletin. First, we're going to see that Paul praises Philemon's faith. Then we'll see that Paul prays for Philemon's growth. And then finally, we will see that Paul prizes Philemon's ministry. And Paul begins by praising Philemon's faith in the first two verses. Paul is overwhelmed with gratitude as he considers Philemon. Notice though, Paul is not, Philemon is not Paul's primary target. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Before he gets to Philemon and the formal request, Paul fixes his gaze upward. And as he hears of Philemon and his faith and his love, he cannot help but exalt the Lord. And again, Paul uses this extremely personal language in this confession of thanks when he says, my God. This language comes straight out of the Psalms, particularly in David, in his language of the Psalms. In Psalm 3, he says, save me, O my God. Psalm 7, he says, "O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Psalm 18, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. And then the famous Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whatever the situation, David went to the Lord his God. He took what it was and laid it at the throne of grace. And we see that Paul is no different. He goes to God with this overflowing and overwhelming thanks he has for Philemon. And right here, I think we can easily walk away with two things when it comes to our prayers. Praise and thanks should always be included in the prayers that we make. God is working by the power of his spirit. He continues to strengthen the body of Christ as we labor together. And there should also be faithfulness to remember one another in our prayers. God works through the prayers of his people they bring encouragement. They bring strength. They bring help. Contrary to popular opinion, prayers are extremely helpful. May we be faithful to God and to one another in them by remembering one another in our prayers. But Paul, this prayer of thanksgiving, leads him, has him give thanks and prayer. And he knows that God is working in Philemon. The faith of his dear brother has proven to be true deeply rooted in the power of God by his spirit. How does Paul know this? How can he be so confident to thank God for the work of Philemon when he is thousands of miles away, sitting in Rome, either in a jail cell or under house arrest? It is because he says, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now this verse is a bit tricky. Is Paul saying, that Philemon has love and faith for Jesus and the believers? If that's the case, that isn't necessarily wrong, it's just a little bit confusing. Because what exactly does faith towards one another look like? We don't really have other scriptures that would shed light on such an understanding. And so therefore, some commentators have have tweaked the idea that faith is actually faithfulness. So Philemon has love and faithfulness towards the saints. I think this is a fair explanation, but I'm not so sure that it's actually the best. It seems that Paul is kind of using a a chiastic structure in this verse. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, chiasm is when you take multiple ideas and you connect them by matching pairs. And in this case, Paul is matching love and the saints with faith and Christ. And he kind of bookends it. Love is at the beginning, saints is at the end, and in the middle is faith in Christ, And he does this strategically. He starts with love because love is going to be what Paul will ultimately appeal to when he makes his request for Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled. It is out of love for the saints that these two brothers will come together again. And without a doubt, that love will require and need to be rooted deeply in faith. Again, Paul has as his aim in this prayer beyond encouraging Philemon. He is preparing him for the appeal he is getting ready to make. But back to the present of this prayer, his love for the saints and faith in Christ is all the assurance that Paul needs to know that God is at work in Philemon. Love for the saints, literally the holy ones, those who have been clothed in Christ's righteousness, flows right out of the mouth of Jesus himself. When he told the apostles in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love was living and active in Philemon. Maybe it was the way he opened up his home for the church to meet in it. Maybe it was how he served them daily. Maybe he was actually a church leader and leading them faithfully in love. We don't have the specifics, but we don't necessarily need them. What we know is that Philemon showed love for the body of believers, regardless of who they were or where they came from. And such love points to a genuine faith. And such love demands grateful praise to the God who is at work behind it all. And we know that faith towards Christ, then, is the grounds for all genuine love. Only by understanding and trusting in Christ and what he's done would Philemon be able and motivated to love in this way. Because it is through faith that we understand the hope that is ours in Christ. It is through faith that we know that we are adopted together as sons of God. It is through faith that, as we saw last week, that we know in rest in the grace and the peace of God our Father and Jesus Christ the Son, grace and peace that is critical for our genuine fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And throughout Paul's letters, this joining of faith and love is frequently emphasized. We can look to Colossians again, the companion letter with this letter to Philemon, where Paul more explicitly tells that church, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. How could Paul be confident that God was at work? Because Philemon demonstrated faith and love. How can we be confident that God is at work in us? as we faithfully demonstrate faith towards Christ and love towards one another. Alongside of all the other things that we pray for as a church, let us continue to pray for the demonstration of our faith and our love. And when we see it, let us, like Paul, give thanks to God because it is Him that is working in us. Let us be encouraged that His Spirit is active And let us keep working. So Paul first praises Philemon's faith. And then he moves into his prayer. And his prayer is praying for Philemon's growth. Paul asks the Lord to continue this work he has just thanked God for. To continue it in Philemon. Philemon has not arrived. He has not reached a point where he can ease up a little bit when it comes to faith and love. Right after giving thanks to the Lord for his work, Paul prays that the work would continue. God is not done with Philemon, and Paul is certain of this because he knows what is lying ahead for this brother. Philemon is going to need help if these two brothers are going to be reconciled. And so what does Paul pray that Philemon would grow in? First, he prays that he would grow in fellowship. Listen to what he says. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Now, I must admit, I read this entirely wrong earlier in the week. I read this sharing as proclaiming, as witnessing. I was like, oh, how nice. Paul prayed for Philemon's evangelistic efforts. While certainly that is not wrong, and Paul elsewhere in other letters has prayed for such things, It is not what the passage is saying. It doesn't fit with the emphasis of this letter. That word sharing is the Greek word koinonia, fellowship, participation, sharing. It is the same word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 when he reminds us that we have been called into the fellowship of the Son. And now commentators are all over the map when it comes to what this word exactly means because it is rather complex. Some say it's simply enjoying one another's company. Others suggest it relates to the sharing of offerings and alms that mutually benefits the entire body. Still others emphasize its sharing of material goods, again, that would benefit the entire body. These are all true aspects of what genuine fellowship looked like. But in light of Paul's intent in this letter, I think the emphasis goes even deeper. Paul's chief concern is not simply that Philemon and Onesimus would enjoy hanging out together. He's not that concerned that they would be willing to share their goods with one another. We will see that he wants them to be reconciled. He wants them to be restored to one another. He wants there to be genuine and true fellowship between Philemon and Onesimus. He prays that their fellowship would mimic what he told the church in Corinth. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It is an idea, as one commentator says, of mutual identification with each other. And this kind of fellowship would have been a significant task for Philemon, given the nature of his relationship with Onesimus. And it's no less significant of a task for us today. This kind of sharing of fellowship, of faith, this mutual participation, strikes directly at the heart of the individualistic spirit of our day. We are told that everything is about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. And we should not, we cannot, we must not let anyone or anything get in the way. If we are to grow in true fellowship with one another, we will have to forsake and actively work against such a mentality. Individualism does not leave much room for extending mercy and forgiveness. When sins have been committed, individualism will not sacrifice time and energy and even money for the sake of building up the body. Individualism will not lay down the right, the need to be right or have things go our way. And this kind of growth will not be easy. Individualism is is our nature. And it's ingrained in us by our culture. We need God's help to keep us from always demanding me and mine in pursuit of fellowship with one another. But notice that Paul's prayer does not simply stop by saying, I wish you would grow in fellowship. He continues on, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of of Christ. Now as a whole, verse 6 is a little bit messy. There is a lot here that has caused interpreters, commentators, and scholars alike to go, again, in a number of different directions. And our various English translations have not sought to muddy the waters by strictly s- sticking to the original wording as much as possible, and I think that's wise. A plain and straightforward reading provides us with plenty to understand the point of Paul's prayer. Simply put, growth in fellowship, the sharing of our faith, will lead to growth in knowledge, which will result in deeper maturity. How do we see this in Paul's prayer? We see this verse where he mentions that it might be effective for the full knowledge. This knowledge is not theoretical knowledge. It is practical, even experiential. Paul saying his desire is that Philemon would know and experience all the blessings that are his in Christ Jesus. Time would not allow us to dive deep into what these blessings are. What we have in Christ is an endless treasure that we will spend all of eternity understanding. But let us not wait until eternity to seek it and grow in it. Because out of this knowledge, the church will mature and grow up. It will become more and more like Jesus Christ. The phrase, for the sake of Christ, is literally rendered toward or into or unto Christ. Paul uses the same phrase in Ephesians 4, 13, and 15, where he talks about the maturity of the church in Christ. He prays that the church would aspire to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ and this is the heart of what Paul's prayer is it is to see Philemon mature in Christ through knowledge and through fellowship with his fellow brothers and sisters Through maturity and knowledge and fellowship, Philemon will be able to respond positively to Paul's request to receive Onesimus as his brother. Without them, Philemon would likely, by human understanding, think that Paul is crazy. Why would he ask for a slave and a master to be reunited together as brothers? But this is exactly how things should play out in the body. As fellowship with one another grows and strengthens, so does our understanding of who God is and what he has for us in Christ. We experience his grace together. We receive his comfort and his encouragement from one another. We taste his mercy and his forgiveness as we extend it to one another. And such a deepened understanding then produces within us as the body a greater and deeper maturity. It unites us more and more, not simply to each other, but to Christ himself, our head. We observe how God is working in and through us to make us more like Christ. And so we then look to him for all the more strength we need to live Faithfully as the body of Jesus Christ. So then we have to ask is this what we are praying for? When we pray for growth as a body, is this what we are desperately asking God to work in us? I'm not in any way saying we should not pray for physical things. The Bible repeatedly exhorts us to pray for one another in our needs. But sadly, the physical needs are often where our prayers stop. We often neglect, and I don't think it's intentional, the needs for spiritual growth, for knowledge, and for maturity amongst one another. And it may not always seem like it, because the physical needs are the more pressing. But we need these things that Paul is for just as much, just as badly as we need healing, provision, and the like. We need it today as we face all the things threatening to divide us as the body. Things both inside the church and outside the church. We need that genuine fellowship. We need a deepening knowledge, an experiential knowledge of all the things that God has for us in Christ together. And we need to mature into Christ. So let us be faithful in our prayers. Let us ask, like Paul did, for God to continue working in us, to unite us more and more together, but even more so, more and more into the image of Christ himself, our head. And then Paul closes his prayer by prizing Philemon's ministry in verse 7. Paul is prayerfully thankful because Philemon's faith and love have been a great encouragement to Paul himself. Paul, despite sitting many miles away, under house arrest in Rome, confesses that he himself is benefiting from Philemon's faith and love. What an encouragement this is for us. We need not be in close proximity with one another in order to benefit from each other. Hopefully the pandemic has confirmed this profound reality. Our inability to meet in person does not negate our our ability to minister, to love, and to serve one another. And some of us likely have no clue how we have encouraged our brothers and sisters or brought joy or comfort to them, even in this time of isolation and quarantine and separation. I bet Philemon was a little bit taken aback when he read these words that Paul is saying, I've received joy and comfort from your love. He's probably thinking, how could my ministry have any effect on Paul sitting in Rome? But Paul confesses that his love has encouraged him. He says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Maybe Philemon sent a monetary gift to Paul, very possible. Maybe Philemon sent some sort of correspondence in between when they first met and this letter he's now writing. Again, certainly possible. But it is most likely that simply Philemon's demonstration of faithful love to the brothers has brought Paul immense joy and comfort as he's he's sitting in prison. For we know that in Paul's other letters, He feels very strongly about the churches that he has planted, that he has ministered in. He yearns to see them again. He wants to visit them. He wants to fellowship together with them again. So he's constantly asking for reports. He's constantly sending people who he cares deeply for into the heat of the battle simply to bring bring reports back to him. He wanted to know their needs, their joys, their sorrows. He sought to know how the Lord was working in and through them. And again, this goes back to Paul's point about fellowship. He identified with those Philemon loved through faithful service. You can almost envision Paul waiting with eager anticipation each and every time someone comes back with a report from the churches that he sent them to. Those letters were not simply nice letters to read. But for Paul, they were sources of joy in the midst of sorrow. They brought comfort in times of pain. And herein lies a great truth for us to remember. The love that the saints have for one another is a blessing to all the saints. Your love for myself, for my family, should comfort and encourage all of us. My love for you should bring joy to each of us. It doesn't matter if we are direct recipients of this love or not. Every time we see or we hear love demonstrated in the body, we should be affected. We should be comforted. We should be filled with joy. We should be filled with thanks. We should be filled with praise because God is at work faithfully in our midst. We should know the true and lasting joy that Paul is confessing here because this is But one of the many blessings we have is being God's people. But Paul also appreciates Philemon's ministry because it has benefited the body. It's not simply what Paul has gotten out of it, but also what the body has gleaned from it. He says, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This word refresh is a very interesting word. It's it's the picture of a military unit marching Days on end, from place to place. And at certain times, these soldiers would finally get to take a break and experience refreshment. Water, food, sleep, maybe a laugh. This is what Philemon's ministry did for the brothers and sisters he lovingly served. It refreshed them. It was like a sip of cold water on a hot day like today. And Paul will ask him again in verse 20 to refresh his heart by receiving Onesimus. So you can almost picture Philemon's church filled with these bruised and battered and bloodied Christians, maybe literally, but likely figuratively. They've been waging war against the forces of evil by their, simple, by their faithful obedience to Christ, they've endured suffering for the name of Christ. They're tired and they're weak. And Philemon in his service to them offers them refreshment. He offers them rest. Not the kind that soccer moms, I love you soccer moms who are out there, whip out in the midst of games, the orange slices and whatever else uh, they throw nowadays. Or even those refreshments we offer after, after our events during normal times. No, Philemon is offering the kind of refreshment that weary souls desperately need. Because in his home, They're being nourished by the word and sacrament sacrament being preached and given out week after week. And by his love and service, they're receiving comfort and joy like Paul. In his home, they're receiving the strength and rest that they need for another day, another week, another hour in faithful service to Jesus Christ. This is the picture of what our ministry in the church should look like and what we should seek to do in our ministry, to refresh one another. First and foremost, we certainly want to bring glory to Christ, but secondly, we rightly then want to encourage, refresh one another. We want to be sources of rest and refreshment. And thank God we are doing this. Anytime the word is opened up together, here on Sunday mornings, in Sunday school, in Bible study, we are pointing one another to the place where our weary souls can find refreshment and nourishment. When we pray together, we are actually carrying one another before the throne of grace, desperately asking our Father to give us the help that we need. And when we serve one another, we are offering tangible experiences of God's grace and mercy that overflows towards us in Christ. I think I can speak for Tim when I say that he and I greatly appreciate your faithful ministry within this body. We thank the Lord for his faithful work in and through you, because if it were up to us all by ourselves, all of us would be in trouble. Your love for one another is evident. It is a source of refreshment for those who have been recipients of it. I have been one of them, and I pray that it continues. There will be times of difficulty where we won't feel as refreshing towards one another. It will be easy and often tempting to simply view each other more as sources of frustration and grief. And there will be times where we exhaust one another. But let us continue to minister faithfully to one another. Let us learn to appreciate such ministry, whether we are the direct recipients of it or not. May we learn to prize one another's ministry as we serve the body together faithfully in the name of Christ. Eighty years removed, we know that Winston Churchill's speech after the Blitz of 1941 proved to be almost prophetic. The great work that started with the British resistance and survival of the Blitz ultimately snowballed in a positive way to the defeat of the Axis powers in 1945. And to this day, many of the battles, the tactics, the strategies of World War II remain to be some of the most remarkable in all of history. Churchill's confidence in the work that had been done gave him ample reason for confidence in the work that still remained. And it proved justified in the end. And far surpassing any confidence that Winston Churchill had is Paul's confidence in this short prayer. He knows the Lord is at work in and through Philemon. It is clear, it is evident, and Paul is overwhelmed with thanks as a result of it. And he is equally confident that the Lord is going to continue this work in and through Philemon. And so we praise, asking the Lord to continue that work. He prays that as we will sing in a moment, that the shepherd will lead his people that he will strengthen them, that he will equip them, that he will complete the work that he has started in them. May this be our prayer for ourselves and for one another. May we be assured of God's work in us, even as we pray, desperately so, for it to continue. But praise God for his ongoing work in and through us, his people. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you. We give you praise. You are at work in our midst, not because we're great, but because your spirit is great who is at work in and through us. God, I pray that you would increase our fellowship with one another, that you would increase our knowledge of all the blessings that you have for us in Christ Jesus. God, that you would mature us into Christ as your people. May we learn to love each other well. May our faith in Christ root and ground that love deeply. And we pray that it would lead to the glory of your name and to many more coming and confessing Christ as Savior. And we pray this in his name.